Now I want a stage play. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. We'll Let's do a two-man play. If, if, if you guys like, follow, and leave a short review slash comment, we become more powerful so that we can write a stage play and get Riot <laughs> to produce it. We need that Tony. All right? Get us that Tony. <laughs> Welcome to Casuals of Runeterra, episode 46. I'm your host, Ryan, here with your other host, Hedge. And now, for the M. Night Shyamalan twist of our entire show, we are actually going back to Noxus. <laughs> Do you think the listeners are still here, like the Noxus fans? No, they're all gone. <laughs> episode 46. <laughs> they left after we did LeBlanc. <laughs> Yeah, home. yeah, they, they're, they're like they got in while they couldn't got out. They're like, they're listen, like, oh, we got a little sweet. little crumb. We're gonna take this and leave. It's like, all oh, right, we're finally going to Noxus, and they started with LeBlanc. This will be fun. All <laughs> right, let's talk about Zillion. A month later, <laughs> <laughs> so we're back as always with another episode. Um, housekeeping up top, you can listen to us everywhere. Uh, follow us on TikTok for clips. Yeah, we got one of those now. People Hello, like fellow youths. Yeah, people are looking at it. People are liking it. People are leaving comments. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. TikTok is fun. Yeah, and we're also on the other socials, so you can hit us up there, too. Because, again, we're on everything. Find everything us. at Podcast Core. That's C-O-R. Uh, emails, if you if you uh, want to, you know, talk to us, want us to say something on the show, feel free. Uh, leave a like, follow, and short review and comment anywhere. Um, even on YouTube, we're doing the YouTube shorts now too. We're trying to, we're trying to cover all the bases so people can find us. And so you can find us everywhere. And, uh, so your friends can find us only if you tell them to become possessed by listening to the casuals of Runeterra podcast. Never mind, I'm out. Never mind. (laughs) State of the game, uh, a quick one. So. Obviously, we're at the beginning of this season with the new cards. We have a new event that started. Uh, it's been great so far. And I usually take the beginning of a of a patch to brew a little bit. Uh, so I took my Draven Riven, dusted it off, and I'm trying to you know change it a bit to get it more um, in line with what I really and Azir demand. <laughs> and it's working out. I want to play it a bit more. Uh, I think I found a right spot the right spice to kind of keep the core of what the deck does well uh, while also being able to survive against that deck yeah uh, everyone everyone out to survive the irelia train that's oh it. boy just survive <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm still in the camp where that matchup because you know it's coming because it's so dominant it's actually getting more fun to play against because you know the goal is to beat that deck, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're beating that deck and you're also doing well against the rest of the field, your deck's in a good place for the meta um, before right. Riot caves and yeah. does something. Uh, I, I don't know if you got to see it, but Swim did a really big breakdown, um, like going over the League of Legends Reddit post um, addressing the I, the state of Runeterra with Irelia mm-hmm. and uh, like breaking down like with the, as far as the numbers reflecting the meta since Irelia has been added and the effect of Irelia Azir on ladder. Um, so that 
it, it's much more intelligent than I could ever be. So it's, uh, I think he put it on his YouTube. It's definitely Give worth us the a cliff watch. notes. Uh, the cliff notes are that the numbers reflect that uh, Irelia Azir are not dominating in win rate, but they are dominating in play rate. Ah. So the play rate is ridiculously high while the win rate's on the decline. And that's okay. because everybody's just working to counter Irelia Azir, yeah. and okay. that's it. Um, and, and then his opinions were more along the lines of, you know, something needs to be addressed just because the play rate's so high that it's meta warping. Yeah. Because everyone has to play to beat Irelia Azir. Um, it's a, it, it reminds it, me of a good example in the old Magic the Gathering days competitive when uh, Delver came out. Uh, the Delver oh. deck was something that it was uh, it was the beginning of a format. Uh, flip cards were introduced that had both sides. And this is when Innistrad came out. It was a big deal, big set. And the competitive side of the camp stumbled across this deck immediately. And yes. it was so dominant that every tournament tournament that year was just flooded with Delver to the point where legacy to this day is still flooded with Delver. Um, and I won't go into the specifics of it, but it was meta warping and it made a lot of conversations come up. It made, you know, conversations go to the depth of what MTG was as a game at its core. Uh, and I think Irelia is the first instance of that because the deck is so perfect. Like every card in it is so perfect for each other that it, it takes away all creativity. So when you, when you lose that ability to do anything to it, because any variant of the, the, the Azir Aurelia deck you see that tries to go outside of what it's supposed to do immediately falls off the percentage. But yeah, I will yeah. argue that it's mm -hmm. not the first time for Runeterra. Um, okay. Twisted Fate with Go Hard when Go Hard first came out. So okay. Twisted Fate, Go Hard. Um, and actually in that, uh, like that swim video, he actually puts up the numbers like side by side and they're almost identical. Oh, okay. like it's literally decimal points. Uh, off percentage wise with yeah. their play rate and win rate like mm. compared so it's okay that's neat um and so like the big thing that i agreed on that he said was that the it's more of a problem that other play strategies are not at that level um because he also agrees it's like with a me. new tier yeah he kind of agreed agreed with me where like irelia is not crazy it's that the whole package of irelia and azir gets online so fast mm -hmm. so then and it gets online so consistently like there's not really a brick draw scenario like you see with like vlad brahm where then draw. you know we've talked about it before where vlad brahm like you get into that scar ground playing field you it's oh that's it that's that's what you want every time and majority of the time you never see it like it, you've got to figure out a way to play without it and azir irelia currently doesn't have to do that and it was the same with twisted fate go hard when before uh go hard got nerfed and a lot of that package did was that it was too consistent it happened too much um and I would love to see some of these other strategies and synergies get a little bit more help. I don't want them to get buffed necessarily. I just want more card support. Uh, for me specifically, Mage Seekers. I want more Mage Seeker support because I'm sick and tired of brewing Lux decks 
and still finding that Lux is not a good enough win condition at five mana. Uh, but that, that that's a different that's a different yeah. show. So what are you uh, playing? Uh, I was playing um, I was playing a uh, Sharima Noxus kind of overwhelm that I was tinkering around with myself um, again overwhelm azira aurelia <laughs> uh but this last week i took a i took a pretty big uh seat away from uh playing on well i i don't play ladder too much but i wasn't even playing normals too much i was playing a, a lot in the lab because i had forgotten that they added new difficulty tiers yeah. and new champions um so i've been bashing my head against my keyboard trying to make talia work and the lab and I hate it. I it like that that Talia needs so much help in that lab. It's <laughs> uh, or I'm just stupid. I just like it's either one. I believe both. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then with that, let's move into our main topic for this episode. It's been a long time coming. Nevermore. Um, once Never again, we're showing more. our age, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> We're starting off like this is an interesting episode for us because Swain's been around forever. He's very pivotal to the story. A lot of the newer cards that have come out have made that even more so. So it was bound to happen. Our hand has been forced, uh, pun intended. And uh, here oh we are. God. So if a lot of these cards sound super familiar already, it's because they are. <laughs> but they do play into the story. And the story, we've gotten bits and pieces over other episodes we'll tell you to go check out um, when those fit as we go through it. Uh, but this is like Noxus is important and, and, and we'll, we'll stand by that, um, as we move into these cards here. So what, what do we got for the spell? Yeah. Um, and we'll go ahead and just kick it off. I, I'm going to kick it off right now and saying that, uh, most recently out of our episode list, uh, Irelia and Swain, like there's, there's a lot connecting those two. And that episode is still pretty fresh. If you want to go give that a listen, cause, uh, we're, we're going to mention it. It's big spoilers there. Uh, but the first card that we're going to talk about is our spell. That's going to be Noxian Fervor. Um, so Noxian Fervor, a now beloved staple of the Noxus um, aggressive strategies. And it is a three mana fast speed spell. Deal three to an ally to deal three to anything. And this is essentially, you know, you're just kind of nuking one of your creatures to deal three to anything. And for the majority of the stuff, this is go face, baby. Like we're we're playing out our our creatures. We're swinging in, and if something is getting blocked and dying, don't you worry. That three damage is going face. There's um, more where that came from. There's more where that came from, and that like. The idea of dealing damage to your like to your own board to affect the opponent's board or their life total is not inherently new to any card game. Like this is a staple thing, and it was definitely a it was a nice card to be added into Rune Terra, but it got a lot of hate at the time it was added because that was when Pirate Burn really started to dominate things and that was when we actually got to see a lot of nerfs to bilge water and a couple noxus cards too so it was 
kind of a mixed bag for Runeterra fans, but trust me, this is the kind of stuff we want in a card game. You gotta have reach, otherwise everything is just going to be completely dominated by control, and then we would see nothing but karma on ladder, and every beta player can tell you, we don't want that. You know, we gotta keep that in check too. Facts. <laughs> um, and of course, for the purpose of our show, that... The flavor text on this is just a direct quote from the man himself, Jericho Swain. And the quote is just very simply, sacrifices must be made. And if that does not define this card, I don't know what does. (laughs) It's going to define the story. It's going to define the card. It defines the play style. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. And that takes us to the follower, which is equally as important, not equally as played, but in the decks where you need to finish people off in Noxus, you do see this a good bit um, just because it is it's it's a very interesting made or well-made card um, for both the flavor and for the strategies that revolve around Noxus decks. That's right. And that's going to be the Leviathan. So this is an eight mana, five, eight follower with overwhelm. On the play, draw a copy of Swain, and at round start, deal one to the enemy nexus three times. And this card mostly gets play, or you see most of the play with um, the Swain Yasuo decks, uh, which you could argue is, you know, technically more of a Yasuo deck, but... and. Every Swain deck, this is pretty much going to be the top end because it's much more consistent as far as being able to get the other effects as well as that you draw a copy of Swain. So if you're building a deck around Swain, you want to make sure that you can get to Swain, especially in some game states where you end up losing a copy. Getting that second one is great. So um, not to mention that the with the unique spell of Swain is a lot more usable than some unique spells for champions. So getting Swain in hand is good, but Leviathan is beyond important because it, this is Swain's flagship. It's, and not just an assigned thing. Um, One of the things that doesn't get, it's kind of more of a uh, sprinkling off to the side for his story is that Swain is a very accomplished general up to like, even before the point that we really get to dive into his story and what makes Swain the person that we know now. And his accomplished career was crowned with being rewarded the Leviathan by the Noxian Navy. So this wasn't just a ship that he's assigned to and he's going off to war. This is this was a gift. He 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 now owns the ship and it's because of his uh, prowess uh, within the ranks of the Noxian army and expanding the empire. And the, the, we can really see that with the flavor text because as we know from Irelia's story, he lands in Irelia's in Irelia's neighborhood on that <laughs> side of the island. And on the flavor text, what it says here is that when the Ionian locals saw it looming on the horizon, they thought it a monster. They were not far from the truth. The steel warship is terrifying. The greatest feat of Noxian naval engineering yet. So, this, like, the ship is 
literally the backdrop to Irelia's story. Like, not even just, like, the characters that are in it. Like, this is... If you were to build a stage and have a high school <laughs> drama club perform this, this would be your backdrop. It's the Leviathan off in the horizon on the ocean. Yeah, that's actually that's a great uh, metaphor there because I could see it. Now, now I want a stage play. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. We'll Let's do a two-man play. If, if, if you guys like, follow, and leave a short review slash comment, we become more powerful so that we can write a stage play and get Riot <laughs> to produce it. We need that Tony. All right? Get us that Tony. <laughs> so this takes us to the man himself and his story, Yerko Swain. Um, oh, my God. And <laughs> That one was for you, Hetch. And as we mentioned at the beginning and, you know, a little bit throughout is like the episodes you're going to want to check out that we've done in the past are the Riven episode, the LeBlanc episode, and the Irelia episode. Um, These ones will give you a better because we're not going to do all those episodes again in this one. It's just come on. You don't have that time. We don't have that time. But there's sprinklings throughout of things you need that kind of fill in the gaps here uh, to get us to this point Uh, because it is a very major point in Noxian history. So yeah, let's get so into it. Go listen to them, catch up, help us help you understand the story of Swain better. Exactly. So one thing a lot of people wouldn't guess, uh, Swain is born. That's it. That's the show. And story's over. It's the fate of the game. <laughs> no, Swain is born in a rich family. And it's not just any rich family. It's a portion of the royal families that existed at the beginning of what we know as Noxus as a um, empire, right? As this this is no longer a bunch of scattered villages that have been conquered. It's just an empire of Noxus now, and these royal families are established. And there's something that comes along with that, uh, where Borum Darkwill, which we've talked about in most of our Noxus episodes, because he's an important um, political figure here, uh, is in league with those families, right? The, this is the ruling class of Noxus at this point, and they play a big role in Borm Darkwell coming to power. So part of this uh, mentality with Borm and power is that the families portray this image that the heritage is the greatest strength of Noxus, right? And this kind of always tweaked with Swain. He didn't fall into that ideal. It didn't make sense to him um, for how he saw Noxus. And he also was aware of the Black Rose's influence over Borum. And when we say, you know, aware of the Black Rose, it's kind of a catch-22, right? Because it's not a real thing. Like, everyone thinks they have an idea of what the Black Rose is and what they're doing, um, but everybody's idea is different. Definitely check out and, the LeBlanc episode yeah, for more so that. With the LeBlanc episode, we really went into detail of how Borum, you know, really knew how the Black Rose worked to find out that he didn't. Uh, so like yeah. they, everyone, they've got an idea, but it's what the Black Rose wants you to know. <laughs> exactly. And at this point in time, like Hetch mentioned, uh, Swain is an established person. Like he's an established young man. He has, you know, his his fleet. Um, and at this point, he digs deeper into the Black Rose's influence. And at the same time, Borm Darkwell is also kind of concerned about the Black Rose's involvement and wants help against that. So Swain takes it upon himself. Uh, to execute any conspirators that he thinks are associated with the Black Rose, uh, including his parents and the pale woman herself. And I say the pale woman um, because in LeBlanc's episode, we talk more about how loose that term is. Um, (laughs) But he executes enough people 
to get an award. Like any good military. <laughs> That's He's right. Like, All right, cool. You did a great feat. Here, you're awarded the Noxian army. Yeah, like if this is this is a kind of niche game if anyone's played it but if uh you're familiar with the series tropico yeah uh and building your caribbean dictatorship island um yeah yeah you know like you gotta you gotta serve those nationalists you gotta execute any political enemies or send them off to the tobacco farms and then there that's how you make money to put in your private bank and not in the national treasury yeah (laughs) And and with this granting, this is where the epiphany starts to happen. So Swain has all, always been kind of wary of his family's views on the heritage and what Noxus stands for. But once he's granted this, he's given more free reign. He starts to and- understand more why that's not where the strength of the nation lives. And where he thinks it lives is in the ability for any Noxian to have any opportunity. Right. That's the key to what makes this nation great is that there are no glass ceilings. Every no matter what your heritage is, no matter where you're from, what you do, who you are, you have the chance to be whatever you want to be. And it's during this campaign he gets sent to in the western border, um, which is in Sharima. So that kind of gives you an aspect of where it lies on the map. And we'll have an episode at some point where we'll talk about like landscape and where everything sits and how that plays uh, down the road. We're not there yet. Uh but no, Swain's, no. Yes. this is like we're recording this in the United States. Like geography is not in our schooling system anymore. So <laughs> like, they, they're just going to have to figure it out. Like West is kind of like on the left of my screen, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> to your left. <laughs> um, but this is where he starts to realize the faults in Borum's endeavors. Right. Not only is his is his are, are, are his ideals. Um, grading on Swain, but it's like he's also doing these crazy things where he's being overzealous in how many fights he's going against, too many fronts. That's, come on, Art of War. We've talked about it before. You got to read it. Uh, you don't take on too many fights at, on too many fronts. Um, and he's doing so with the the goal of seeking out these magical relics in the places that they're invading um, to seek immortality, which lines up with his current experience in politics and how he's slowly becoming more and more unhinged. Yeah. And, and it really is, uh, it, it really is important to highlight because the, uh, the that pursuit of more uh, like immortality is something that is grating on him because of the fact that he is tangling with the black rose and he's literally killed off the Black Rose, and it's not dead. Like he's because Swain, even though he's becoming unhinged, he's not an idiot. He is a very competent war leader in general, but he's got to find a way to deal with this threat that he already thought he dealt with. It's like, what, what, I, how many times have I got to kill this thing? Okay, if I got to kill this, if I got to kill this thing a thousand times, and I got to figure out how to live a thousand lifetimes. <laughs> That's too true. It's this interesting. Um, it's an interesting part of the story because not only do you have uh, Borum Darkwell back at home losing his mind, you also have Swain out on these campaigns slowly losing his mind. So when you have all the powerful figures essentially losing their minds, it's not good for the people, right? Yeah, it's it's not going to be good for your grunts. Um, like I, I'm sure. 
I'll have to go listen to them again, but there's a couple of like these uh, tracker uh, quotes from when Riven was printed that uh, <laughs> that, that are just kind of like, uh, you know, I'm cold, my feet hurt, there's blisters on me. <laughs> and it, like, that's what these guys are in now. And on top of that, they're just looking at this guy that's just talking about birds. <laughs> and while everyone's dying around him and he's just I, it's like, I, I just want to go home. I'm exactly. sick of this. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Hatch alluded to it earlier. The invasion on Ionia is pretty much la- the, the straw that breaks the camel's back uh, for Swain's uh, psyche. Uh, during the Battle of uh, the Placidium, uh, which we've talked about in the Irelia episode, Swain's complete, like, he's depleted forces are trying their best, but they end up outmatched by a militia group that fell into their trap. So it's like not only are they playing with a handicap in their favor, then they still lost. Um, so this battle actually left him, his complete army depleted or Navy or whatever you want to consider them at this point. Uh, but it left him injured as well. He had a broken knee and a severed arm, which we know from his profile uh, in game. And he was at death's door. And this is where the story starts to get a little more obscure, a little more ethereal. And I'll just make a comment about how it's written and presented. It's kind of confusing how they do a shift of um, viewpoint here, uh, because the rest of the story, how it's told, is almost like a fever dream of events. Uh, So he is at death's door. A raven comes to, you know, feast on his body. So and he stares into the raven's eyes, kind of locks it in his, his gaze. The film goes to the black and white. <laughs> and he starts to see these visions of like his parents, the the black rose, the symbol of the black rose, born dark will losing his mind, this concept of the darkness, the demon. And he's almost trying to conceal a power or keep a power that's within him concealed. Right. Because he's he's fearful to let that free. Yeah. And like the I, I, I'm going to take the benefit of the doubt here and say that, like, the confusing bits that we're that we're diving into right now is written just to force you in the perspective of how unhinged Swain is at the point of when uh, I really is walking around with his arm as a rallying flag to the militia <laughs> uh so it's like you know maybe it's you know you're supposed to feel like how crazy he's going but it like this bit is kind of confusing because like they we know from his portrait and we know especially after they did his rework um one in lore and two in the game of league of legends that he he is exhibiting these demonic powers. So we have to assume that this is a point where this demon is possessing him or this demon was always in him and taking control. Like that's what we don't know. And it's, but I'll, I'll take, I'll, I'll take the gamble and say that they're trying to make you feel how unhinged he is. Yeah. This would, you know, side note, this would be a great um, film, sli- not film slice an animated slice. If they want to take this bit, and make a like a short thing for it to just for the fans post on their YouTube. I think it would do well, and it would also pique some interest because, like we said, Swain is very important to the whole Noxus story, and Noxus is important. Noxus is important to every other story. Um, but 
what we do get from this is he does survive. Uh, we don't get the in-between. We just get him back at the Noxian Empire. Um, he's returned, but soon after he's cast out of the military for his failures. So, you know, mil- the Noxian military, you know, they'll give you gifts, but they'll also take them away. They give it and take it, take it away, right? Yeah, um, it, and that, that goes to like our release episode where we talk about how cutthroat the politics are in Noxus and the military is no different. Like you're not... If you're not up to snuff as far as playing the game that the military is trying to play, much in the same way that politics are playing, they, they'll just go ahead and snuff you out and they'll move on to the next strongest. Exactly. And during this time when he's now casted out, uh, he's becoming more and more obsessed with those ideals he essentially visualized um, at, at death's door in Ionia. And it's everything. It's it's he's everything he's thought of is this concept of like the black heart of Noxus, the the corruption of the Noxian Empire, and his goal now is to seek a way to resolve it. Um, so we get the stretch of like many years where he's preparing slowly and in secret, and he still has a group of people who are loyal to him because of his prestige, uh, and he ends up taking Noxus in one night, and he does so in a grandiose fashion. To kind of say, hey, I'm here. These are the new ideals of Knox's. Get ready because we're swapping the whole plan. Um, and he allows himself to be possessed by his power, this demon, which is what we get in game, which is what we see when he becomes that that raven demonic being, uh, that crossover monster that lashes out. And he destroys Dark Will on his throne also while destroying the throne itself that he sat on. Um, and this is to symbolize that change of ideals. Yeah. And the, the change is much like we talked about in our LeBlanc episode, where it's a point moving forward that Noxus fights for Noxus. Like it is no longer a nation that is built around the ruler. It's not built around the throne and it's not built around these families that are playing games uh, for the throne. Like it is for the Noxian soldier. And um, if, a fun thing now take that thought take that idea of every man having a place in noxus and then go rewatch the rune terra short for when they introduce the noxus region with uh darius uh going in like taking over that the a throne of a kingdom in freljord and then just go ahead and just like Start having the Russian anthem playing behind you. <laughs> Hammer and sickle. <laughs> Hammer and sickle. Like, we're all equals now, brother. Let's comrade. go, comrade. <laughs> um, yeah, so he then takes that, you know, he puts his demonic power on display. Uh, he then follows up by establishing the Triferix, which is something we'll talk about at a later time because there's more details there. And but what the grant, the, the major thing that the Triferix, Ferric stands for is that no single ruler can be established, right? It's it's more of a council approach. Um, and with the Triferics, he reverts all of Dark Will's military campaigns for seeking, you know, immortality relics. And then he finally accepts the Black Rose, not so much accepting um, them as a personal ally, but accepting that their existence is outside of his control. But as long as their existence is in uh, service of Noxus, then it's fine, even if that means going against him, right? And mm-hmm. with that, he has his final focus of it's not other nations anymore. He's done with invasions. 
He wants to understand the demon within him that possesses him. He wants to understand the dark heart of Noxus. And he says to do so, sacrifices will soon come. And it's all for the greater good of Noxus. Uh, the greater good. Yeah. One, one mad person for another. It's a hard swap to make, but this is fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything to say about that, that last bit before we hop in the card? Uh, this is fantasy. Let's, let's <laughs> hop into it. So we hop into the Swain card. Uh, the dumpy stamp of approval. Boom. Easy. <laughs> Easy. He's a five cost three six with fearsome. Just like that dumpy. Just like that dumpy, baby. With, with Nexus Strike, deal three to the enemy Nexus. His level up is you've dealt 12 non-combat damage. And that's throughout the game. He doesn't have to see it. Uh, which makes him that much more valuable. Yeah, it's 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 a powerful card. It's a good cost. Swain has always had a place in every meta to some degree uh, because it's so like it it it's you're going to get something out of it. Yeah, uh, and it's also like the fact that he levels up off of non-combat damage. Mm-hmm. Like he will always have a place just because for the most part, whenever we get to see meta shifts, he's always just so far outside of the meta that it's hard to build a balanced deck that works with a meta and works with Swain. Like I can guarantee you the majority of decks that are built around Irelia, like if they run up against a Swain deck, it's going to be rough. Like you're going to, you're going to have to have a good curve out to be able to play against it. And that's why he's, it's like, that's why he's always going to be there. Yeah. Uh, We get a little quote here on the first side of the card, which is a power beyond mortal understanding gave me the visions to see what most cannot. I peer through the darkness. Others fear. (laughs) Sounds like a crazy person to me. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And you, but is he crazy or can we just not understand his greatness? He's just so deep. (laughs) He's just so deep, man. Um, yeah, but that 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 takes us to the flip side. Yeah. Uh, let's what's on the other side of the darkness, Swain. So, Swain is unique in that his front side is valuable throughout the game. His back side, yes, we're doing the double entendre with the dumpy. Oh, <laughs> is a game ender, right? He's a five cost still four seven, so he gets that standard plus one plus one when he flips. Still has fearsome, but now he has when you deal non combat damage to the enemy nexus. Stun the strongest back row enemy, and then he has Nexus Strike, deal three to all enemies and the enemy Nexus. Um, oh boy, yes, yeah, this is similar to Sejuani. If you listen to our Sejuani episode, where when she flips, it's very tough because the deck not only tries to enable her flip, but once she's flipped, it continues to enable the ability that's on the other side, um, to end the game, uh, which is a really neat way uh, or neat approach to how they design those cards. Yeah. And like and much like Sejuani, it's also a thing where this works like in a strategy where you're trying to protect the hero. Um, So if you want to protect Swain or in the case of Sejuani, you want to protect her. Like as long as you get that damage onto the Nexus, their effect triggers, whether they're attacking or not. But it does reward you for throwing that sucker into combat um, because much like Sejuani, they both have the dumpies. So <laughs> like if, if you're in a position where like, you know, you can go ahead and start swinging, they got to deal with 
block and Swain. Like that's not this that's not up for debate because if you hit with Swain, all of a sudden Swain hit for seven, <laughs> and he's wiping your board. Like it's it, it, whoo. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> and for you know the umpteenth time, um, if we haven't made it clear throughout this episode, the quote we get on this other side is "No sacrifice is too great to see my vision for Noxus fulfilled." Yep, the sacrifices will be made. Uh, at the very least, you know, since sacrifices are going to be made, he's walking around with this demonic, like controlled blood gush of an arm now. Like it, he's formed an arm just out of the his stub, <laughs> but it's, it's the demonic power, but it's also blood red. So then, like, I could just see an artist depiction where it's just his blood just shooting out and yeah. forming an arm, and it's like, okay, Swain, hold up, hold back up. It ain't Halloween. <laughs> like you ain't got to do all that much, uh, but you know, at it's least he's cosplaying. Got- yeah, at least he's got like all this missing limb and he's walking around with a cane or like in the old days he was walking around with a cane yeah. too, where it's just like, look, yeah, sacrifices must be made. Behold my sacrifice. Like <laughs> I, I now want to have a tea party of Swain and Victor and just have them like bounce off of each other. <laughs> the duo, the fun <laughs> duo coming to CBS soon. <laughs> Prime time. Uh, bring your kids. <laughs> <laughs> so this takes us to the point of the episode where I usually have a challenge and or a question for Hetch. Today I have a question. And, mm-hmm. you know, with politics in the real world, unfortunately, sometimes you're left with choosing the lesser of two evils. So, Borum or Swain, which mad king <laughs> do you choose? And I go first. Um... I tend to veer closer to Borum. And the reason I veer to Borum is because although, you know, he was seeking immortality, he was kind of spreading himself thin. You put yourself as a person who's not in power. You know that there's some Black Rose involvement and they'll only let it go so far because they need Noxus to exist. So, and then you also have the chance with Borum for outside um interference because he's spreading himself thin some nation is going to come in and hopefully gut it all out right and be like all right borum you're out but the black rose would obviously get their talons in uh and try to establish some kind of repertoire with that nation i mean either way you're kind of screwed but i think borum from the hey i'm just a civilian standpoint makes the most sense uh because he's more of a puppet president uh, than actually powerful himself. I I'm definitely the opposite. I would lean more towards what? Swain. Um because I like the ideals that Swain talks about and preaches, um, they like that's what you would want to believe in is that, you know, like that's like the American dream. You go out there, like as long as you bust your butt bootstraps bootstraps you know pick yourself up by your bootstraps you like you have a shot at life but you know like the swain's example within noxus of pick yourself up by your bootstraps we're all equal now is also like the a perfect story of showing how ultimate power corrupts ultimately um and yeah he's built an entire 
empire now around the idea of fighting as equals and it is to grow his demonic power to make sure that his vision of Noxus is the only Noxus. <laughs> and but it's like, oh uh, yeah, like as as someone like if I had to pick a ruler, it, it would still be Swain because then um spoilers for our very very soon episodes like you end up getting to follow under people like the brothers like draven and darius and darius being someone that very much holds true to this ideal of fight for country and like country will protect you and like the those i would gladly follow darius into battle like once we get to really kind of break down his story like you know it's that, that's the kind of man i could serve and that's the kind of man that would be able to thrive in swain's noxus even though it's an illusion of thriving because only swain would thrive but hey yeah i you know you just it's the lesser of two evils to me i guess and that's why these questions are always fun um, I, I think I know just just one kind of tangent off to, you know, obviously we're excited for the mobile whenever that happens. And I hope that something we get story wise, which would be a missed opportunity, is, you know, we haven't talked about Darius yet. We haven't talked about Draven at the time of this recording, um, but we start to talk about how the Triferrix, um has created these different pockets of power and how the ideals are sort of aligned but different approaches and the outside nation views on these and other regions as well it'll be interesting to see like a not so much a fall of noxus but more a civil war style of noxus um, because yeah. the story is kind of ripe for that um where it currently stands yeah like it would i mean it would definitely be a fun thing to do because you could have like um kind of do an mmo that would be your like current a dungeon timeline. or like a campaign or a raid yeah like you would have like your current timeline and then you could do like a whole event that would just be like playing through this the civil the civil strife of swain taking over um and so then i could imagine doing like all these different side quests of just like okay like hey we got called out to shirima because there's this artifact that's said to give you eternal life so then you go fight in Sharema and then while you're over there you get to meet a guy that's like like talking to an NPC that's just like yeah you should come join my ranks uh, our leader's really good to a Swain we're going to Ionia <laughs> and then it's just, cool. you get to play through that story just on yeah. these different side quests yeah I mean like, like, like if you can't tell listeners we're excited we're, we're waiting for the MO just a hint Ghostcrawler please contact please. us Please contact it's at us. Podcast contact core. somebody. Necrit. Podcastcore at gmail.com. <laughs> like, you just shoot us an email and like you know, that way that way it's just between us at first. And yeah. then because we just gotta know. We're losing our minds. <laughs> just a just a dash, please. A crumb. <laughs> a crumb. Please. A crumb, please, sir. Please, sir. I want some MMO. <laughs> More <laughs> <laughs> and with that <laughs> thanks for listening <laughs> and we'll be back soon with the next episode uh, take care everybody